0: start with a couple of little warnings. Uh, one of the issues uh, that a visiting preacher uh, has is that I haven't got any idea about what's going on in your life. Uh, with my own congregation, I have a reasonable idea about where most people are at, so I can be sensitive. Um, I'm going to be probably totally insensitive this morning, and if I cause you offence, uh, it is not deliberate because I don't know actually what's going on in your life. Uh, but one of the... Things about being a visiting preacher, sometimes I can say things, uh, but this man can't. Uh, because he has to come back next week, where you can go, thank goodness that guy has gone. He's not our pastor, we've got Duncan, we love Duncan, Duncan don't ever leave. Uh, and so, uh, if I do close and tell this, I'm not deliberately trying to, uh, please don't be a little of grace. The other thing is, uh, I'm used to having the control, we have little buttons that we push to the hills, so I'm good really at pushing buttons. Uh, I'm going to be waiting at the sound guys, and they're going to be clicking uh, buttons up the back there for us. Now, this morning we really want to spend some time talking about the topic of love. Uh, it was read for us out of 1 John chapter 4, and uh, we want to explore why this topic uh, has such, uh, a conflict for us. Let me illustrate this for you, uh, with music of my generation. Now, you may need to insert, uh, the similar songs, uh, from your generation, if you're not quite in the, uh, the 25 to 30 year olds that I fit into. Um, <laughs> you see, the Beatles told us that all you need is love, yes. But then Tina Turner came out and said, well, what's love got to do with it? What's love but a second-hand emotion? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? We have a great attraction for love. Who here doesn't want to be loved? Who here doesn't want to be loving? But love, I think, if we're honest with ourselves, there's bits and pieces of love that really do scare us. I was at a wedding yesterday and uh, at the reception last night and uh, I'm sure you've all been to them. Uh, love is on display. Yes, uh, it is compelling. But experience teaches us that life is not a wedding day. That you have moments like that, that almost as you sneak up on love, you can be afraid that it might disappear, like a mirage in the desert. You know that that thing that you thought was there, you thought it was you were going up for it, and then it. It's somewhere else. It's something else. You see it and you want it, but sometimes it seems so elusive. We're not really quite sure about my love. Uh, so if you think about how we use used the word love. Uh, I love the cup of coffee I, uh, I got down at the cafe. Uh, before I came here with a beautiful cup of coffee, I'll come back, not only for a cup of coffee, but I'll make sure I have that copy because I loved it. I love sunrises and sunsets. I love a good meal. I love my wife. I love reading a good book. So often when we talk about the things that we love, what we're talking about is how those things make us feel what we get from love. But I think you'll agree that love, love can't be just about what we get. Love has to be given. Because if it's just about what we get, love becomes self-interest about meeting my needs. And the question I want to talk to you about this morning is, is Christianity any different? Is love for the Christian, love for the Christian church, love for the South Coast, is different from the world out there? Does being a Christian and knowing God's love for us so beautifully demonstrated, I'm going to steal can I take this away? So beautifully demonstrated doesn't make a difference for us. What resources does the gospel give us so that we might love. We've got four headings, we're going to click through this, hopefully they're hearing behind me. The call for love, the cost of love, the face of love, and truly loved, truly loving. Firstly, the call for love. When I ask the question, should Christian love be different, the answer is "Well, it should be. The Lord Jesus, on the night before He went to the cross, in John's Gospel, He is recorded living with His disciples. He washes their feet, and then He says these words in verse thirty-four of chapter thirteen. He says, "A new command I give you: Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know." That you are my disciples. And you have to it if you love one another. Three times, Jesus commands his disciples, his followers, to love. 1 John 4, uh, the passage that was read for us, he illustrates this even further. Well, on. Dear friends, John writes, the author of 1 John and John's Gospel, same person, same John. Dear friends, let us love one another because love comes from God. Click over to verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Jesus and John, his apostle, his disciple after him, gives us the command to love. And Jesus tells us that this is like the diagnostic symptom. Of a true Christian faith. When I uh, worked, before I went in the a pastor, I only worked one day a week now, but uh, I actually <laughs> had to work five days a week. Uh, I was a physio. Uh, and uh, one of the things you did is you, uh, you looked at the symptoms that the person came with you presented with, and you sought to make a diagnosis. You sought to line up the symptoms that you saw because. Very rarely were patients prepared to let me carve them open and actually have a look at what was happening on the inside. And so I had to work that out for what was presented. And John is saying, in a very real sense, Jesus before him, that love is a defining symptom of a true Christian faith and a true Christian church. So how does Jesus define it? A couple of simple words. As I have loved you. What is love? Jesus displays it for us. Jesus gives us a clear picture of what that love is. It's there also in 1 John 4 verse 8. He says God is love. He further down again in verse 16. repeats it in case with wisdom. God is light. Jesus gives us the ultimate example of the character, the defining characteristic of God, that he is light. Think about what Jesus has just done in John 13. He's washed the disciples' feet. I don't know if you've ever felt compelled to wash someone's feet. Uh, I can honestly say I've never felt the urge to get down hands and feet. And hands and knees and wash someone's feet. It's not been something that I have desired, particularly if you've been walking around in the early Palestinian streets in your sandals with uh, with open sewers and all the other bits and pieces. Washing feet was for the lowest of the low. But Jesus sees his disciples' needs. He doesn't need his own need. He is completely selfless in washing those feet. When Jesus goes to the cross just a few chapters later in John's Gospel, he doesn't go to meet his need, but he goes to meet our need. Love, love as demonstrated by Jesus himself is utterly selfless. And it is phenomenally sacrificial. Washing the feet, there is the effort, there is the loss of dignity that goes with serving in such a humble position. Dying on the cross, Philippians tells us that Jesus emptied himself, he poured himself out to death. True love, true love is not about what you give, what you get, it's all about what you give. God's love is sacrificial and God's love is selfless. And as we see this and as we experience it, we explore the dimensions of love. We've got your Bibles there, appeal behind you on the screen. Verse 21 of chapter 4. He has given us this command anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So we know what love is in Christ. And as we experience that love in the vertical, John is telling us that it must flow over to the horizontal. In case we visit verse 20, he says, Whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love the brother or sister who they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. John is saying that as we experience this love that is in the heart of the Father, this love, this selfless sacrificial love, demonstrated so vividly by Jesus on the cross, it will overflow to the horizontal. As we say we love God, the vertical, it goes horizontally. The test of true love of God. Is doesn't overflow. Doesn't overflow. I don't know the Trinity South Coast, how good you are at learning. I know Trinity Hills, and I said this to them when I preached on this passage for them. Being there for a decade, there are many people who have come and gone in that time. Some of them for the best of reasons. Some of them for not good reasons, of their own making. Some of them, because they weren't loved by the community of the church. They came in and maybe they just didn't quite fit. Because it's actually easy to love people who are like us, yes? Some of us, uh, we're naturally lovable. Some of us have sharp edges. My previous church, Back in city, there was a lady there by the name of Alba, and if you dug into Alba's past, uh, it was horrendous. As As I stand here now, I feel a bit shaky because knowing just a fraction of what she experienced, you can understand totally why she is not the easiest person to get along with she sometimes uh, had those Homer Simpson moments where the, what the brain is thinking and what the mouth is saying are two different things, you they don't quite line up. And so one situation, uh, she told a young lady who was coming to get another biscuit for morning tea that uh, maybe she made it, it needed to make more attention to her weight. Uh, imagine, mums and dads, grandmums granddads, if you're there and you hear that to your... Not always the easiest person to love. But what I saw in that community is they loved her. Not because she was lovely. It would be very easy to take offence. But they loved her and over time God, by his grace, transformed her life. And she became a wonderful woman. So she still had those prickly moments. I gave her once a plant with spines all over it, uh, just to remind her that God loves prickly people. Uh, she thought it was incredibly appropriate. Uh, you'll have to trust that my pastoral sensitivity wasn't totally off that point. But I ask you, is truly South Coast the kind of place where someone like Alba would walk in and feel loved and accepted, even though they might tread on to us? They might cause offense. They may not observe the (laughs) niceties and the the way things are done here actually. How do we love in the horizontal way? What does that show about the miracle? The dimensions of love are that and the display of love. Let me read to you from verse 12. No one has ever seen God, John writes, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. What's John saying? He's saying that if you love the way God has loved you, people will walk in and say, God is amongst them. This is what God is like. Jesus' words, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. His fingerprints will be all over this church, displaying displaying his love to the world. Not only just doesn't do that, what we can actually find as well is that as we see God working in us and him prompting us to love others, we can give thanks for his work of grace in our own lives. It gives us assurance as we see this. John says, no love you have to doubt the reality of your life. If you will not love, if you do not love, John says, you're lying. You're lying about your love for God. But what John is saying, and what Jesus said before him, is not to cut us down, because none of us do this perfectly, but actually to reassure us, to give us Evidence that God is at work in us. He doesn't ask for perfection, but He does ask for the direction. He doesn't expect that we've arrived, but that we are at least on the journey. Does it grieve you? Does it grieve you when you find love hard? Does it bring you back to God to ask His forgiveness? And by His grace, empowered by His Spirit, ask Him to equip you to love. When things break down, are you open to reconciliation? Or do we just put up those polite walls and find ways of keeping each other at arm's length? Maybe we're not shaking fists and yelling at each other's faces. But we have those divisions. Trinity Hills is a little bit bigger than you guys. And I know where everyone sits because I stand up at home most weeks. You probably sit the same seat. Do they do that, don't you? A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. And over time, as I've got to know people, I know there are people who sit down here because someone else is sitting back there. There's that grief when you find yourself avoiding people because you find them hard to love. And if it does, I say two things repent and praise God. Praise God that He is at work in your heart and in your life. J.C. Lyle, who was uh, an Anglican bishop of Liverpool many years ago, I'm going to have to turn around because I normally have a cheat screen. He said this if men and women uh, have no likeness to their Father in heaven, it is vain to speak of their being His sons. But as we see, we have the littlest. Evidence of love flowing out to one another. God is at work in us. We are called to love. But it costs, doesn't it? It really does cost. When you look at the scripture, Jesus is the ultimate example. In love, the Father sent the Son. In love, Jesus emptied himself. In love, the eternal Word of God was born in mortal flesh, the pure and perfect Son in the likeness of sinful humanity. In love, Jesus stood with that sinful humanity and identified with them in baptism. In love, the King knelt and washed the disciples filthy feet. In love, the Lord of glory submitted to a crown of thorns. Jesus loved us. Love, he tells us, as I have loved you, he calls us to this incredibly sacrificial and selfless love. But but McGarney said this. He said the coward is incapable of expressing love. It is the prerogative of the brave because love is costly. To so ask you this morning, are you brave enough to love as God has loved you? Could you ever be that brave? To love selflessly, to love sacrificially. We can look at the cross. And we can look at that example of Jesus and it can terrify us because that is the ultimate example of love. If that is what love costs, have you got what it takes? Dear friends, if Jesus is only our example, he will crush us. He is too good. He is too perfect. He is too loving. Maybe you grew up in a household with a slightly better behaved sibling. Maybe you were that slightly better behaved sibling. And you had your parents say to you, perhaps, why couldn't you be like feeling the Blake? Imagine growing up in Jesus' household, like Mary and Joseph, saying to John and one of the others, why can not you be like Jesus? imagine, I'm sure they probably didn't say that, but imagine what that does. And one reaction is to say, I can never be that good. And walk away and put it in the too hard basket. If Jesus is just our example, I don't think it works. But Jesus is so much more than just an example. Jesus, Jesus gives us what we need to love. It says in verse 18, it says there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fact, fears is not the perfect in love. John he talks about fear of judgment. The fear that we will be caught short, that God will say, depart from me. And he talks about how the love that was lavished upon us in Christ answers that deepest need. That as we see that Jesus Christ died in our place, bore the cost of our rejection of God, as we know in our hearts that he has met that deepest need and he has brought us home, that the Father will never turn us away. As we see that, as we know that, as we experience that, it drives out that fear, our greatest fear, and so answers every other fear. Because so often, We don't love because we are afraid. But God has lavished his love on us. We can look into the face of love. John 4 verse 19. We love because he first loved us. John 4 verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. The answer, brothers and sisters, dear friends, is not to look at Jesus and say, I must try to live up to his example. You can't. The answer is to look at Jesus and see how much he has loved you. How he has met your deepest need. And let that love transform you. The cross of Jesus Christ is the pinnacle, the summer of his love. This is how God showed his love amongst us, verse 9. He sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. He said, Christ, dying that we might live. Verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice, or literally a propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiation is not a word that we often use, but what it means is it's an offering that turns aside anger. And one way the Bible speaks of God's uh, work in Christ is that the anger that we justly deserved because of our rejection of Him has been turned aside through the sacrifice of His Son. We never need fear. We look into the face of love, we look at the cross of Christ, and we see that we never need fear. That God's love as chapter 3, verse 1, has been lavished upon us, that we, by His grace, His undeserved merit, our undeserved favour, by His grace, we are called children of God. Children of God. When we look into the face of love, it transforms us and sets us free so that we might love in Moving on to our last point, I'd like to suggest to you, your friends, that this morning, to the extent to which God's love is real to you, it's one thing to know it in your head, it's another thing to have it transform your heart. Jonathan Edwards, who was an American preacher a couple of centuries ago, used a fairly famous illustration about honey. I could stand up here and I could describe what it's like to have a mouthful of honey and its sweetness and its thick texture. But it's another thing to grab a spoon, isn't it? And go to a cupboard and grab the honey pot and dig the spoon in and pull it around and put it in your mouth and just. Have that sensation of the honey flood you. It's one thing to know God loves me. It's another thing to have that love transform your heart and so your life. And to the extent that you truly know God's love for you in Christ, you will be able to love one another. to focus of how, put it back in, in terms of the illustration, how do we go to the cupboard with our spoon and grab the honey jar? How do we do that? How do we get that experience of God's love that is so much more than just an intellectual yes to the box? Christian writers sometimes talk about the means of grace. Now, it's a fancy word friends, fancy term, talking about the things that God has given us so that we might grow in his grace. What have he given us? He's given us his word. With promise after promise after promise. With God displayed as saviour again and again and again. With the love of God displayed for us in his word. His word is a means of grace. He's given us prayer that we can come to him, come into his presence. As Hebrews says, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness, with confidence, and receive grace and mercy for our own. We can come before God with his spirit at work in us crying, Abba, Father, Dad. Do we use these means of grace? Do we spend time in his word? Do we spend time conversing with God? Do we ask God to show us his love more and more? That's become more and more my prayer: that I would know more of God the prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians church in chapter 3, that they might know the dimensions of God's love for them and know that this love surpasses all understanding. We can never plumb the depths, but by his grace we can know him and his love will full. What else has he given us? Look around. He's given us each other. He's given us his church. He's given us faithful guys like Duncan and Alex and others who will stand up and speak to you of the love of God, of the grace that is yours in Christ. He's given you those conversations with one another out in the corridor over morning tea. As you walk out of the car park, as you meet each other during the week, as you're in growth groups together, he has given us one another. And as we are called to love and others love us, so we can grow in that love. He's given us a song. It's something special about song, isn't it? You can we could all stand here this morning and maybe we should do this for our last song, Duncan. Um instead of this is the band sitting there, we're just gonna sleep the words. Is that gonna work for you? It's not, it's a, there's something about music that I think God has given it to us because it takes those words and it, in a very real sense through, through the poetic nature of, of the song but also through the beauty of the music it takes them into our hearts and songs. He's given us songs and we can praise Him and as we do, he transforms us. He's given us the Lord's Supper. I was wondering whether this was some the kind of Lord's Supper set up. But those visual reminders, that bread, and wine, or grape juice, or whatever it is that you use here, that reminder that Christ's body was broken, Christ's blood was shed for you. And that as we Him, John 6, As we take Christ into ourselves by faith, he feeds us and gives us life. All of these things, his word and prayer and fellowship and song and the Lord's Supper, they feed our hearts and they remind us again and again and again of the love that God has for each of us. Your friends, I encourage you to gaze on his love for you in Christ. To see how much you have been loved. To know that you could not possibly comprehend the dimensions of that love that is for you. To see how truly you have been filled with that love that His Spirit has worked in us, blessing us with every spiritual blessing. See the love of the Father for you. See the love of the Son on the cross. Hear the Spirit testifying with your Spirit that you are loved children of God. Co-heirs with Christ, heirs of the Father. Can you comprehend what that means? Do you remember the Charles Wesley hymn, Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim through Christ the crown of forever. I've come across many Christians who've come up and said, I can't see that. Dear friends, Wesley was right. God loves you that much. And as you live in that love, as you dwell in his grace, you will find that those prickly people, those people you find difficult, those people who are not like you, for whatever reason, you will find the reality of the love in the vertical will transform in the horizontal. And My friend, is the Trinity South Coast is a place where people say there is something about that church. They love one another, and they see the Father and His love, and the Son and His through them. Dear friends, John writes, "Let us love one another." The love comes from. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you give us. Give us a vision of the love you have for us. Sometimes we can hear these words and our, our hearts become dull because they are familiar. We know that we have forgiven. We know, perhaps, what that forgiveness cost. But, Father, the wonder of your love ceases to overwhelm us. Father, I ask for myself and my brothers and sisters here that by your Spirit, you would be at work in our hearts. If you would open the eyes of our hearts that we might see your love. And as we know that we are loved, that love we overflow not just in response to you, but to one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.